my friend, your role as a father is critical. You are so important. Three nuggets that hit me from today's conversation are one, as a father, I have the power to choose to embrace the day ahead. Two, understanding my kids' currency, what truly makes them tick. And three, as a father, I have a responsibility to recognize and call out my children's skills, gifts, and talents. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Alex Medina. I am so lit up by our conversation. Enjoy meeting another incredible father. Alex, what's up, my friend? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Note. Hey, man. Dude, super cool to have you on the show. I love talking fatherhood. A mutual friend of ours, KJ, I say, hey, you know any great dads? And he says, oh, Alex is solid dad. So that's one of the highest compliments one could get, right? Because it's a vulnerable state. Why do you think KJ would say, from his perspective, you're a great dad? I think what actually happened was you asked KJ if he knew any good dads. He couldn't have think it. Couldn't have thought of anybody, but then he remembered me. How I feel most days, doing the best I can. I think that there is this, and we're going to get into this, but this feeling around fatherhood where it's, dude, we don't feel like we're enough. We don't feel like maybe we're stepping in. There's lots of things, maybe your story from your dad or culture or whatever, but we may feel like we're not a great dad. And I think a lot of dads listening to this sometimes feel like they're not a great dad. But if you show up and do the work, there's outside people like a KJ who are seeing you do the work. And they're not just seeing those mess up moments that you're focused on. They're seeing the good stuff that you're doing. Exactly. That's manhood in general too, though, right? Your 20s is you fake it till you make it. Your 30s, you get a little bit of wisdom. You hit your 40s like me, mid 40s, you feel like you're starting to, to hit your prime a little bit. And then your kids who thought you were the coolest thing in the world until they were 12 or 13. And all of a sudden, the game changes on you and you got to reinvent yourself. Dude, that's the thing about kids is when you think you've got it down, they make a shift and it changes. So my first question for you is, you've alluded to it already, but how old do you find yourself today? You mean like, how do I feel? However you want to answer the question. Day, having some challenges with my teenager the last couple of weeks, I feel pretty old. And so I did what helps me relieve stress is I had a great workout right before we were uh, recording this. So yeah, in a couple of respects, I feel pretty good, but in some respects, feel like an old man. Okay. So mid forties, but then like you said, there's areas that you feel older because of it, maybe a disconnect with your kid. And then you said you hit the gym. So fitness is super important to me as well. And I find it just to be like super dude. It's like a superfood in so many aspects of my life. Tell me about your fitness regimen, right? Your mid forties. Has the fitness always been important to you? It's always been important to me. I actually was a competitive tennis player growing up, started playing when I was five, did tournaments throughout Northern California, played all through high school. I wasn't good enough to play D1. I went to a D1 college, but had a D3 game. I gave that up, but I've always been into health and fitness. And then what's so interesting as we get older, everything, you got to reinvent yourself, right? Your metabolism shifts. For me, I'm 46. When I hit 45, all the stuff I used to do just stopped working. And I can say that I'm half Asian American. I'm Filipino, proud Filipino American. We love to eat. You're in Hawaii. You get how it goes. Like rice I think like the Bible should say it's the rice of life, not the bread of life. <laughs> so now I had to, uh, to completely change my workouts and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. How many days a week you hit in the gym? I usually hit the gym four to five days a week. I do those hit classes. Some people do CrossFit. I do the Mark Wahlberg F45 competitor. Oh, cool. It's a little more chill for my personality. I don't have like sledgehammers and tires. It's more like ropes and kettlebells. And then I play tennis once or twice a week, still competitive. Oh, dope. Keeping that alive. Oh, sick. Okay, cool, man. Dude, that's awesome. I think that's really important. Let me ask this, dude. How have you hung on to that love of tennis while 
being a husband, being a father and starting a business. So many of us ditch the thing we used to love. How'd you hang on to that or maybe rekindle that? I've always had a love of fitness. Tennis, I took a 20 year break, but I had kind of other outlets and stuff. But I'm also really big on kind of the concept of manhood and what that means in today's culture. I'm a dad of four boys. I've got four boys. I'm raising four young men. Two of them are teenagers and stuff. And sports is such a great metaphor, right, for life and how you put through challenges. And we're built to conquer and have competition and to face opposition. And we all know at our core, what am I made of? And a lot of sports are like that. I'm biased because I play tennis. Tennis is the most individual sport I think there is. And it's, I would say, 80% mental. It really is. You're going against Mm -hmm. another person, but really it's all about what am I made of? I think every man and every young man wants to know the answer to that question. What am I made of? I want to come back to that question. I'm going to ask you a few things to build the stage and then let's come back to that question. How many years you've been married? 20 in March. Coming up. Heck yeah, bro. That is incredible. So 2004. I love it. I got married July 2004. And so we're creeping up there as well. But what a gift to give your kids and what a gift to give the world. So love that. So four boys, dude, what are their ages? So we got two teenagers. So what's the age breakdown? Yeah, I've got a 16-year-old who's a junior in high school. I've got a 14-year-old who's an eighth grader starting high school in the fall. I've got an 11, soon-to-be 12-year-old who's in sixth grade, so also middle school. And then our surprise number four is just turned nine in November. He's in third grade. (laughs) Love it. Love it. And no more surprises? No, got that taken care of. And then, okay, so we're similar. We have a 17-year-old, 15-year-old, our surprise twins, which are 14. And then we're like, let's have one more. And she's 11. Oh my God. So four girls and one boy. Where does your family live? Like where in the US do you live? We're in the Sacramento suburbs, a town called Lincoln, like Roseville. If you've ever been to Tahoe, going up the Highway 80 corridor, it's hour and 15 minutes from Tahoe, 40 minutes from Sacramento. So Sacramento Valley. Cool, cool, cool. And then what is it that you do out in the world to provide for the family and provide value? I'm an attorney. So I practice law. I try to say not what I am, because that's different than what I do. What I do for a living is I run a law firm that represents businesses and business owners throughout the state of California. I've wanted to be a lawyer for pretty much as long as I could remember or when I realized I wasn't smart enough in math and science to be a doctor. (laughs) I should have asked, am I going to get a bill for this call that we're having? Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, that's awesome. We bill in six minute increment. I would be so excited if I got a bill from myself. Oh, it's so good, man. Hey, you know what, though? What you do is powerful. I just had a question the other day, and it was worth every penny to not make a decision that would be detrimental to my future business for my business. So what you do is critical. When did you embrace fatherhood? So you're 46. You've got four kids. So that means you were 30 years old when you had your first kid, roughly. Did you embrace it when you heard the words, you're going to be a dad? Or was it somewhere in between that moment and now that you went, dude, this matters. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like so many things in life. There's seasons. And I know you've heard of the four stages of grief. There's like anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance. I think we as dads, we all go through those. But I think there's a difference between having a kid and being a dad. And for me, when we first found out the news, it was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm gonna be a dad. I have no idea what I'm doing. I had a really interesting journey where there was trauma from my own dad dying when he was 52. He had cancer and he died 20 days later. It was undiagnosed. And so that left a void in my life. And I think 24, 25, I was a third year in law school. I was studying for the bar exam, trying to figure out life and my future had a job lined up. And then that curveball got thrown. And fast forward a few years later, got married. We wanted to wait and make sure our marriage was healthy before we started trying. We had moved from Southern California to Northern California, where we live now. And I remember feeling excited, elated, all that kind of stuff. But I remember with the loss of my own dad and for anybody who's lost a parent, you miss the things but you have to grieve the loss. It's hard to explain, but you're grieving future losses that haven't even happened yet. So when I found out that my son Maddox was going to be born, I was thinking my dad's not going to be there for the first Christmas, for the first house we buy, for the wedding, for all of his kind of stuff that my dad missed. And so when you lose a parent, 
you grieve that all over again, almost like with each kid. So I've had a series of many funerals over the course of my life. Wow. Were you close with your dad? Super close. Yeah. My dad was just the coolest guy. And we, we think about that. He was really silly. He had a really fun sense of humor, balanced my mom out. And I think about the way that he would have interacted with my kids. I'm not naturally like that. I try, but I try to do a lot of the stuff that he did with me. So it was a huge loss for the family. What was it that gave your dad that intentionality to be connected to you? Because sometimes you hear, like when you talk to a 40 to 50 year old man today, Sometimes you hear my dad worked, my dad, that, that was like more the focus of that generation. And I think it's this generation now where we're like wanting to be at everything and be more connected and be at the school, like meetings and stuff like that. So what was it for your dad that he was connected to you in that way? I'll be like a lawyer and reframe your question and answer differently. The best lawyers do that, best politicians. What I'll say is I think my dad was really intentional about it. He grew up in a large family. He immigrated Mm -hmm. here from the Philippines and Hawaii in 1969, not a dollar to his name, that type of thing. And so he passed on a lot of really cool values that I try to pass along to my kids. One of those is the value of hard work. I think it's harder Mm -hmm. in today's culture. I am very passionate about teaching my kids not to be entitled to work hard, to appreciate money. My dad was very frugal, sacrificed for himself, that kind of thing. And one of the things that I so appreciate about my dad is there's a difference between healthy pride and like false pride and like Mm -hmm. true humility. And in the culture that he grew up in, it's Asian culture, very much pride and honor base. My family went through a really hard time when I was a kid. My dad had a business. He had a business partner who embezzled money and skipped town, left the country. My parents were holding the bag, had to declare bankruptcy. And that was a pivotal moment for our family. And the thing that I, you know, one of my enduring memories of my dad is instead of crumbling, first of all, he did cry in front of us and he apologized, which I thought was so cool as a man. Mm. I will never forget that. My dad apologizing for not providing for the family. But what did he do? He went and got multiple jobs, which goes against his culture. He was a paper boy. He would get up at 3.30 in the morning and he had a paper route. He was like in his 40s. And then he became a janitor at my ki- my sister's elementary school on the weekends. And he had a software job that he commuted to the Silicon Valley from the Bay Area for. Like work ethic, providing for your family. But wow. he was still fun. Like he still had this playful, kind of jovial spirit. Loved to tell jokes and be silly. That was a lot of things that he passed along to me. And then just life lessons. We, we had a lot of time in the car together because my mom was a real estate agent growing up. So weekends was kind of dad and me. And he was a storyteller and he would always talk about values and firm handshake, look somebody in the eye, open doors for women like chivalry, honesty, good enough is not good enough. I remember all that kind of stuff. Probably roll your eyes when you're a teenager, but now that I'm a dad, I'm probably saying the same stuff. Dude, without a doubt. So what was your dad's name? His name, it's hard to pronounce, even harder to spell, Neftali. There's a tribe in the Israel, Neftali. He was Nef, N-E-P-H. Ah, when I hear about people, especially those who have passed, I love to hear their name, right? Like just keep it alive. And I just, just from one dad friend to another, dude, your dad would be so proud of the man that you are freaking coming up on 20 years of marriage, four teenage boys, rocking a business, dude, all these things that the way he lived his life are, they're being reflected in the way that you're showing up. How incredible to pass on his legacy through the way that you're showing up for your family. That's awesome. I appreciate that, man. Dude, it's, oh my gosh, this all matters. Like when you tell the story of Neff and your father, and and then you see the life that you're living and it's, dude, you, yeah, you're raising four boys who are going to go off most likely and be husbands and work somewhere. And just going back to your dad, dude had three jobs for a bit, three jobs. And your statement wasn't, he lost his job. He crawled into a hole. He worked and I never saw him again. It was, he cried in front of us. He showed us his vulnerability. He, he apologized. This happened, but I'm taking ownership. I went and got three jobs and I'm still an awesome dad. If you're listening to this right now and you feel like I don't have enough time, that is not true. It's not so much about the exact number of minutes you spend with your kid. It's about the intentionality and the presence you bring in those moments. And it sounds like that's really the way your dad showed up. 100%. Ah, dude, so powerful, bro. Okay, so that's when you embraced fatherhood. What have you learned about yourself? When you think about being a dad, there's so many things we learn from our kids. Our kids are also different and there's good, there's parts of them. I'll just use my kids as an example. 
I see myself and my kids, the parts I like and the parts I don't like. In some ways, my kids are such a great reflection to me of myself. So I constantly learning from them. What are some things you've learned from them about yourself? That's a great question, a hard one to answer. I think marriage and having kids is like having a mirror around all the time. You're reflected <laughs> yeah. back. The best parts of you are reflected in that weird angle that you don't want to see in family photos and stuff. You still got to look at it, right? Your, your wife won't let you get away with your habits. You can cultivate a public image all you want, but what's the people that live with you the most, I think, that, that, sh- that reveal a lot to you? I think for me, a few things is... I'm a Christian, so I speak about my faith honestly and stuff like that. And I really believe that God gives us certain relationships because he's so patient with us and he wants us Mm. to see different aspects of his character. And so marriage is one of those ways we see that aspect and being a parent is one of the ways and how we can see his heart and the way that he loves us. And he loves us so much that he wants to refine us and grow us in certain areas. And so I'll just give you one example. As a lawyer, I've always been like a high achiever. I did all the extra credit. I read all the books. I did all the homework. I was like Hermione. It's Wingardium Leviosa. That was me, right? (laughs) Being a dad is no formula. And I remember trying to approach it like that with my first kid. Do the things, push the buttons, and this will be the outcome. And I really feel like God is trying to tell me, like, we got to be more flexible. We got to have more grace. We got to have more mercy. You might say one thing to your kid at one point, and it might totally fill them up. And you say it again to them after they strike out, and they get super mad, and they don't want to hear it. So I learned that. And then um, the other thing I've learned about being a dad, uh, I'll go back to sports again. If you're playing a weaker opponent, pick a sport, basketball, football, baseball, mm-hmm. for me, tennis, I can get away with some bad habits. I don't have to practice. I don't need to stretch, like whatever. I can go out and I can go beat somebody and not even be on my A game. But if I play somebody or if you play a team and they're the top and you don't prep and you don't practice and you don't have a game plan, and you're not intentional, you can get your butt kicked and your weaknesses get exposed. It's just like anything else. For me, I know that if I feel like I'm coasting as a dad or as a husband or anything like that, those weaknesses get exposed. Those ugly parts come out. I have to be very intentional about what I'm doing with each of my sons. We talk about this a lot. It's a weird family dynamic because we got a lawyer and my wife's a marriage therapist. So a lot of words, (laughs) but also like a lot of wrong will. And we talk a lot about understanding each of our kids' currency because each one is a little bit different or lovely. What it is, what's the currency? I've got one kid, and this is like teenagers in general, but when he wants to open up, it's 11 p.m. to midnight. That's when he wants to talk. Thomas, I like to go to bed at 10.30. Fathers, quick interruption here. Do you struggle with the sense that you are not stepping into the fullness of your role as a father? Do you regularly wrestle with feeling inadequate as a father? I would love to connect and encourage you over a one-on-one Zoom call. You can grab a time with me at www.rebelandcreate.com forward slash connect. Take a few minutes to talk life, fatherhood, and I will share several resources that will support you on your adventure of fatherhood. Now back to the conversation. But dude, I just had this experience like the other day, like one of my daughters, she's some can be the hardest for me to connect with sometimes because she's super independent and I love it about her. But like the other night it was last week, I was so freaking tired and she popped into my room and sat in my bed as I was laying down and she just was chatting with me and it's like creeping up on 11 and I'm like just thinking about my 5 a.m. alarm clock, but also having this internal conversation. Dude, don't miss this moment because if you're like, hey, honey, I'm really tired. Can we post this till tomorrow? Next time she's walking by my door at 11 p.m. at night, she's going to be like, dad doesn't want to talk to me right now. It's not a good time for him. So you got to be really aware of those moments so that you're available because you got to meet them where they're at. Like, totally. I love this. Understanding your kid's currency. That's really good. It's different for every kid and you really got to know it. And that's cool. You and your wife are on the same page with the language. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really helpful for you dudes listening. If you and your wife haven't sat down and set some similar expectations, you're both going to operate from different places and it's going to cause more frustration. But to have similar language to be able to talk about your kids together and connect is really valuable. Okay, I want to go back to something you said. I love this concept of the tennis. If you were to play me in tennis, it would just be a walk in the park. Like you wouldn't stretch. You wouldn't even have to change. You know what I mean? Just be like, whatever. If dads, like right now, dad, if you feel like you're crushing it in all aspects of life, but with your family, I would argue that you've probably just found a comfortable lane outside of your home and you're just beating weaker opponents at your job and at whatever you're probably. So if you're like crushing it, you're not pushing yourself, whether it's in the gym or at work. 
because life should be a struggle. And that's where it should be and not like terrible, but it should be a struggle. And we should need a plan for the day. We should need skills and tools. And so I love that you're bringing this into fatherhood. This is a very important thing. And you can't just there's you just can't coast it. You can't wing it. You can't wing being a dad. And I've tried that and I've failed. That's the line right there. You can't wing it. Solid, dude. Solid. Okay. In your opinion, what is the role of the father? Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack in that one. I might meander a little bit here. Okay, so let me ask it a different way. You have said that what am I made of is really important, okay? And as a dad to four young men, different, right? This is a key component. So how do you show up in this what am I made of? How do you pass that to your kids? Yeah, I think not being afraid to be vulnerable, I think is a big one. It's easier said than done because there's always that macho stereotype. You want to feel like your your kids look at you and they can see no wrong. There's a point to that. I think that's actually a really good thing that your kids can look up to dad and see like dad's Superman, right? There's every kid goes through dad as Superman face. And then you have to recognize your dad's human and stuff like that. I think that kind of happens more around the junior high and teenager days. I was having a conversation with my 16 year old the other night and he was saying, dad, how come you don't struggle with stuff? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing a good job because I'm not being real enough with him. So I was telling him all the stuff that I struggle with. And he was like, so surprised. And it's it's like that mission from boyhood to manhood is recognizing that you can still be a good man and a good husband and a good dad and still fail, right? And you just picking yourself back up. What I would say to go back to your original question, because as a lawyer and a verbal processor, I'll filibuster and I'll get back to the point. For me, like number one role as a dad is to show them the heart of the Heavenly Father. And I don't know your audience. I don't mean to over-spiritualize, but that's one of the reasons I was put on this earth is to help my boys understand not only what they were created for, but who created them and who He is like. And so in my own imperfect way, if I can show them some grace and mercy and love. But here's the other thing. I think men, and it's so un-PC to say this today, and it frustrates me, but men and women have different strengths. They have different things that you make them passionate. Because I see this in my boys. I've seen it myself. We want to conquer the world. Like we want to have a dream. And their ambition is not bad, right? Having a passion. Look at why do we get so excited about Star Wars and Harry Potter and Marvel? Because it's somebody steps up. There's a problem. There's an evil. And they ask themselves that same question, what am I made of? And they fight the challenge and they're victorious in the end. And I think if more young men and more young people just in general recognize that life is an adventure and it's not wrong to want to go and conquer the world. In fact, every single person has a place in the cosmic story that we live in. So for me, how my boys, what's their place in that story? How do they fit in? What are the gifts? Go back to whatever. How strong are they in the force? What spells are they good at? What superpowers do they have? We all have them. And that's one of my roles as a dad, helping my boys recognize they've got these superpowers that they can use for good. And you can, like anything else, man, if you're super, super good with people and you're really emotionally intelligent and relationally wise, you can do a lot of good, but you can also be a manipulator. And so helping my boys understand the the good and the bad of your skills and your talents. Dude, okay, so I'm going to recap this. First off, you're an incredible dad. Things that I heard you say as the role of the dad and I want men to hear this, is you said the heart of the father, right? And when we bring up faith and Christianity, it can bring up a lot of things for people. But you said the heart of the father, and just right off your tongue, you said grace, mercy, and love. Okay, so the things that I want to reveal to my kids is they were created out of grace, mercy, and love, and for grace, mercy, and love, right? And I think sometimes as men, we could hear that and be like, oh, that feels feminine. But really, it's both feminine and masculine, but it is hard. Like you got to be a strong freaking man to extend grace, mercy, and love. And then on the flip side of that, there's no weakness in here. You said also dream, ambition, and conquer. Like the two go hand in hand. I got to be both of these sides, right? Like I'm still going to dream, have ambition, and conquer. And then leaning into kind of the ending of what's the role of the father is to recognize their gifts in those six things that you brought up. Let me see their gifts. But dude, dads, this is tough because we could be so focused on our marriage, on our business, that we're just looking for pats on the back. Dude, I was a victim of it. I fell into this where a lot of times I would look to my family 
to make me feel good about me. Like, oh, I wish my wife would recognize this. I wish my kids would recognize what a great dad I am. So I made some of the things I did about me versus understanding like my role and you said it greatly from an imperfect human, right? Like I'm never going to reach utopia, Ned. So from my imperfectness, I have to choose to vulnerably recognize them and not make it about me. No, it's, it's a daily, sometimes hour by hour surrender, right? You got to surrender self. And that's such a balance because I think men are created to have adventure, to conquer. I'm totally ripping off John Eldridge. Just read a great book called Killing Lions, where it's a communication between him and his son going through this journey as a young man in this postmodern world. It's so hard to do that and be ambitious, not feel guilty about it, but also be humble and be self-sacrificing. And I do think there's beauty in that tension. And that's where thinking about my own journey, what are the messages I'm passing along to my kids? I would say, just as a quick side note, I have always made business decisions, putting faith and family first over the profit piece. And that has served me well. I was working for a law firm down in LA for my first few years of my career. And I knew when that job jumped a shark, when I had to cancel a marriage conference with my wife because I had to work over the weekend. I remember leaving a very prestigious international law firm, a big deal. And everybody said, you are crazy. Why are you doing this? You've been given this unbelievable opportunity. And I said, if I'm going to put my wife first and all the other stuff is going to sort itself out. And it's a discipline. If you say, here's one of my life values, which is I'm going to put faith and family first over work. It's just like any other habit. It's hard to get into a habit. It's hard to start going to the gym. It's hard to start eating better. But each time you do it, it gets a little bit easier. And that's what I want to teach my boys is you got to Sometimes you got to make that hard first leap to put somebody else first, but then it gets easier and easier over time. Beautiful. Yeah. I think dudes, you have to sit down and know what your core values are. Like, what are those values? Faith, family, marriage, what are the things? And sometimes I think it's easiest to place yourself at say your daughter's wedding or your son's wedding or your son having his first kid or your 50th wedding anniversary or your deathbed. Like put yourself in one of these, visualize one of these moments. What comes up for you? Like what is most important? And then take a look at your calendar the last seven days and just see, is that a reflection? Now I'm not saying like we can't all quit our jobs and just like be at home all day long. We still got to work, but it's the priority that Alex is talking about here. Alex, going back to the beautiful tension and the surrendering, right? Because it's like, you're not surrendering your ambition. You're not surrendering that you still have dreams and vision and goals. It's about me. So do you have any practical tool? What does it look like to surrender to the selfishness and be present for your family? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts that come up around that? Well, it's a lot. It's like a lot of things where oftentimes we will have ideals and then there's the reality because we're human. And so I have the ideal that I'm not going to eat carbs while I watch Netflix at night. And then I get up and all of a sudden I got a bag of chips in my hand. I'm like, how the heck did that even happen? <laughs> That's life. And, but surrender for me, it goes back to prayer. For me, I start every day. I say a few verses in my head as I'm waking up. And I love waking up, by the way. It's one of my first, my favorite parts of the day is mm. like that five to 12 minutes where you're just slowly getting out of bed. I really love it when I don't get woken up by my alarm because it's still kind of that quiet time in my mind. And one of the first things I'll say is today is the day you have made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's it's from Mm. the book of Psalms. And what I love about that is the psalmist who wrote that is actually making a decision, right? He's actually saying today is the day, Lord, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So He's making a conscious choice to say, whatever happens today is not in my control. And I'm going to find a way to find beauty and goodness in it. And I end the day right before I go to sleep at night. I say the same and I go through my head. Today was the day you made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I think through the things good and bad. And I thank God for them. And then the second prayer I pray every morning when I wake up is I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you as my reasonable service of worship. Sounds a little churchy or whatever. But the thought I have in my mind is if I'm going to give myself to somebody greater than me, most sacrifices are dead. Pick whatever religious system you want. You put an mm. animal's dead, right? The blood's mm. gone. It's got nothing. It turns yes. up. Boom. If you're a living sacrifice, then the person who's accepting the sacrifice wants it to stay alive. They don't want it dead. So I have to recognize if somebody wants my sacrifice, all of me, then they're going to take care of it better than I would. 
And so what does that mean then? It's from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. It's my mind, my subconscious, my thoughts, my dreams, my desires, my hopes, my fears, my lusts, my weaknesses, all of that stuff. If I can just, I have this visual image of just saying, it's not mine. And then I pray similar stuff over my kids. And some days are better than others. But I think for me, what I would bookend this by saying, starting and ending my day with the decision to see good and beauty over the course of the day from start to finish has been a really good discipline for me. So many incredible things you just shared. I want to go back to a couple of things. But first off, when you're talking about surrendering and living sacrifice, you're not giving up responsibility. So bring that word into it. How are you taking responsibility for your life? Because it's like such an interesting time, like take control of your life. Yeah, you could do anything you want to do, blah, 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 which I agree. Like I can wake up and I, I can go after this day. My friends, sorry for this quick interruption. However, somewhat sadly, I get more questions from dudes about fitness than I do about fatherhood. But what I found is that the fathers who start taking care of their fitness and nutrition end up finding fatherhood, marriage, work, and all other aspects of life come into a deeper clarity of purpose, enjoyment, and fulfillment. Now, I've partnered with Rise Up Kings to launch Ruck Fitness, a transformative program that is less focused on a six-pack in 90 days and more focused on you creating the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that will allow you to be a healthy asset to your family for decades. Come join me in a transformative journey to become the man you want to see in the mirror. Go check it out www.rebellandcreate.com forward slash fitness. Now back to the show. What's the tension between taking responsibility and being a living sacrifice? That's so good because it's not like a fatalistic prayer where it's just whatever happened to me was God's will. So I guess I'm just going to sit in my house and eat bonbons, right? We have a role to play. We have a part to play in this cosmic drama. And you said something, we can do anything. I push back on that a little bit and say, we can't do anything. I think that's like Disney. I'd love to go play Major League Baseball, but I'm not good at baseball. I can't do anything. But I can do anything within the skill set that I have been given, the natural gifts and spiritual gifts that I've been given. And then I feel like there is, once I know what that is, then there's freedom to create and to grow and to go after it. I know what my calling in this life is to be a lawyer who brings about peacemaking. I'm a peacemaker. And so Mm. it might sound weird to somebody who does litigation and lives in a world of conflict to be a peacemaker, but there's so much freedom in that, right? And so with my kids, that's what I want them to understand is this tension. It doesn't like, if you want to go out and start a multi-billion dollar company and that's what's on your heart, go do it, but find out why you want to do it? Mm -hmm, Is it so you mm -hmm. can go 15 Bentleys, which would be pretty sweet. But I think at our core, like every little boy wants to grow up and change the world. And I apologize. I've only got boys. I don't know. I don't know little girls, but it's helping my boys kind of harness that natural ambition and figuring and their passion and their talents. And let's find a way to marry it, do some good. Two things I want to bring back up. When you first said, I love waking up. I'm like, how many people say that? Like I'm a morning person. And actually, when you said it, I'm like, I do waking up. And when I wake up, my first thing is good morning, God. Just like mm-hmm. my grandmother taught me that. So good morning, God. And so I'm making this acknowledgement that it's not just like look in the mirror and go like morning king of the world, Ned. This isn't just me and, and good morning. Like this is a new day ahead of us. The world would look different if more men, husbands, fathers said the words, I love waking up because there's so much behind that. There's hope for the day. There's, I'm happy to be me. There's just a confidence in that. And I think so many people wake up just dreading the day ahead. So what are a couple things that allow you to feel that you love the day ahead? Some days are harder than others. And I think it's really important Mm -hmm. for men especially as fathers and husbands, to really know themselves. I have done the hard work of introspection and going through all of that journey. You can't fake wisdom. You just get it over time. And I'm not saying I'm a super wise, but I'm a lot wiser now at 46 than I was at 26. And I know myself a lot better now than I did back then. And one of the things I've told this to so many people, what I love about the 40s is it was the decade where I finally felt comfortable with the things that I'm not good at. And not like feeling inadequate or insecure. 
and having the discipline of being able to say no, because I know that's not my calling, my mission or my strength. It's outsource it, right? Okay, I'm not good at this, but also recognizing my limitations as a dad. And so for me, as a firstborn son of an Asian immigrant, super high achiever, who's been good at everything, except being a parent of a teenager most days that I've really ever tried to do. I have to recognize that in my day that I'm about getting stuff done, getting the tasks done. But I've done the hard work in recognizing that I have good guardrails in place when I know I'm getting into that space where I'm getting triggered because X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, here's the coping mechanism. Here's how I can not be overbearing as a dad. And sometimes I'm ashamed to admit, or just being real, I just need to break for my kids because I know I'm in that space. And if I don't get away from them, I'm going to say something that's going to do damage to them years from now, just because I'm I'm out of a place of depletion, not out of a place of abundance. Yeah, I think we all have to recognize that. And I, the other night, I knew I shouldn't go into my daughter's room and say something. And I was just so caught up in it. And I did. And I walked in and and I'm like, it was all of whether she should go surfing or not, because she had hurt her shoulder. And I'm like, you make the choice. And then half hour later, I'm like, I shouldn't have said you make the choice. But then I was not in a good spot. And I should have had enough self-awareness to go, I can't go in there right now. I think being aware as dads, we have to some self-awareness so that we don't have to go back and apologize as often. Now, the other thing that you brought up, which I think is so rad, the the first prayer you say, is it today's the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad. Okay, so what I never really noticed is the I will, okay? And you said this, it's I'm making a decision, about this day. I'm choosing something for this day. And I do think it's true. We all wake up to a blank sheet of paper. We see there's stuff from yesterday that we may have to deal with because of how we dealt with yesterday. But the I will. And I think dads, if you don't find yourself in the place where you wake up saying, I love today, find yourself a prayer or something to set the tone where you're choosing to take responsibility for this day ahead of you versus just thinking today's going to be another crappy day that happens to me. And I have no control of this. And I'm a victim. Dude, Americans, we live as such freaking victims. We're like richest people on the planet. And we are just such babies, man. And so I would think that your ritual habit of doing that for however many days in a row you've done that has led you. Now you're on a podcast and just rolls off your tongue. I love waking up. The first five to 12 minutes in the morning are incredible. I love it. And I would say that that habit of the prayer is probably played a big part in that. So I think others could have that. They might be three or four or five years down the road, but shoot, why not? Get to work. I'll be a little more practical about it too, to go back to knowing yourself. There's different ways to do that. Introspection, prayer, whatever. A lot of personality profiles. I'm a big fan of what's called the DISC profile because it really tells you how you it's so good. And so if you recognize what your own weaknesses are, figuring out how to carve out so you can be a better dad. So for me, I know this about myself because I'm in my mid 40s. I've been dealing with my, my, my crap for so long. I'm a to-do list guy. I have an app that when I click something off the to-do list, it makes the most satisfying sound in the world. When I get home from work, I have certain things. My whole family knows. Dad's got chore. I call them chores. I make the lunch for the next day. I put my BCAAs, my pre-workout and my thing for the workout the next day. I make my protein shake the night before. I get my clothes ready the night before. I'm a, I'm a regimented, detailed planner, right? If my family gives me 15 minutes where they just let me do my stuff when I get home, then I can be open, intentional, spontaneous. Like you almost have to create a space for spontaneity. But if I get home, we've learned this over the family dynamic. If I come home and they're like, dad, I'll freak out. And that's where I can get really worked up because I'm like, ah, and sometimes you have to be flexible and I have to recognize that. But we have a rhythm now where it's okay. You give me that first 15 minutes when I get home and I'm yours. What do you need? So is that a conversation that you had or was it just like dad snapped so many times in the first 10 minutes that everyone leaves you alone for 15 minutes? (laughs) That's a little bit this is going out into the world. So I won't share some of my greatest or worst hits of times when I've, I've figured it. But it's really awesome being married to somebody who has a psychology background and stuff. So she knows me better than I know myself. And so I think everybody just know. I just say, hey, I'm, let me do my chores. And then I'll get right back to you, buddy. Yeah, I'll look at that. Because my kids are active. They're boys. They're just like, and I get home and they're like, let's do this. Let me show you this. And I'm like, let me do my few things. I'll do my chores. I'll get right back to you. Yeah, so cool. I'm, this conversation came up recently. Um, my wife and I went to uh, part of this group called Rise Up Kr- Kings. It's like a Christian 
organization and we went to their marriage conference uh, about three weeks ago. One of the exercises as we're at this is to what are the expectations in the marriage that we actually never agreed to, right? So like I'm constantly being let down because it's like every day I come home and I'm pissed because I didn't get my 15 minutes of my chores. And she's like, what are you talking about? Your 15 minutes of chores, right? So I think this just brings up a great point. Like dudes reflect back. When have you been frustrated or triggered or whatever the past three, four, five days? What was the thing that did it? And does that other person even know that there's some like, is there an unspoken agreement? And if that's the case, like maybe go back and, and also look for when is your kid getting pissed and when is your spouse getting pissed and think back to those moments because we're obviously like, dude, what's your problem? And they, they're probably doing the same thing to us. So if there's any unspoken agreements, what's the expectation? And go work that out and be like, yo, when I get home, I'd love 15 minutes. Or in the morning, you're always mad when you come out because I'm on my laptop at the kitchen counter. And she's just like, I just loved it that one time we talked for five minutes over coffee. And you're like, damn, I wish I would have known that. Like I would give that to you or whatever. So we can really dodge so many of those like daily frustrations if we just communicate. But the problem is we're joking about it last night is like, I just wish she knew what I wanted. <laughs> she wishes the same thing. Like We're still 20 years in. It's just not how it works. That's such an interesting point, too, because so much of conflict of anything in life, even in my business, being a lawyer with clients, it's unspoken expectations. You let people down because you know, you know what you were supposed to do. So I think it's really important to have ground rules. I would go one step further, though, and say when you go back and think, what are the things that triggered me? Not only what they are, but why. And that's the harder work is to really go back and dig deep because here's the thing. I don't love that part of myself. It's something that we've created a rhythm out of it. It's made me very effective in business, right? You want the guy who's PSD that gets stuff done. But when you got little kids, my kids were three, five, and seven. I couldn't be like, daddy's got to go put his shoes out for tomorrow. Come on, there's like a poopy diaper. You got to adapt. And so I think also wanting to make sure that you can pass along because good or bad, even if your kid pushes you away and says he wants nothing to do with you, which gets said to me often, he's looking to me as the leader and setting the tone, I don't want to pass on bad habits and stuff. And so if I can find a kind of a healthy way to deal with that, if I start seeing some of those patterns on my kids, I can start to understand them better as well. Yeah, yeah, so true. So speaking of healthy, and also this conquerous warrior that we all have inside of us, this podcast is called Fatherhood Field Notes, you're doing it just like sharing your life with us. It's incredible, learn so much already. But the mantra behind it is rebel and create. And the idea is, what's something that you're rebelling against, but not just to be destructive? What do you hope to create out of that? So when you hear those words, rebel and create, what comes up for you? I rebel against a lot of the pop culture, postmodern culture, where we define our own identity based on what's in vogue at the time. I'm on a podcast. I rebel against a lot of the social media stuff and like screen time for the sake of screen time. I'm trying to go OG with stuff like using a pen yeah. and paper and yeah. like reading actual books and things like not going back to VCR or whatever, but I really rebel against kids looking to the trap of comparison for mm. their own self and not recognizing that they, every single one, whether they know it or not, they are a child of the king of the universe who created everything. And this, just, this culture, particularly in California where I live, is so much about having a label and it becomes your identity and that you can just choose it. And I believe we do have a choice, but yeah. that just drives me nuts. So I'm really trying to instill in my boys whose they are. They have a certain mm. identity. They're rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, but then they've been given a certain mission. They've been given a secret mission and they've been given secret weapons and secret talents. And it's my job to help them figure out what those are. So that's the Beautiful. create part, right? Yeah. 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 And I was going to ask, <clears throat> what do you define identity as? But you just beautifully said it because what you're rebelling against is this. It's like, yes, I can choose the man I want to be, but at the same time in our current culture, it's like a whatever, choose any identity you want. And then, like you said, it's this trap of comparison. So if I choose that I'm X, Y, or Z, and then something new comes out that's getting exposure and people are like, oh, but there's this, then I'm going to just constantly change my identity. So I've never been rooted in anything. And I think that's such the power of not even the power, the reality of, dude, you were created out of love, grace, and mercy to be a part of this 
unfolding story that's happening. And what I've been toying with a lot is Deuteronomy 30 says, I put before you life and death each day. Mm -hmm. And this idea, I think I've... Yeah, choose life. And I think for a lot of my life as a performance-driven business sales guy, I have so much leaned into good and bad. Am I good? I'm good compared to this guy who's bad. If I'm bad, you're right. So good and bad, that's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? That's just, that's me as judge. That's comparison. And if I just remove good and bad at all from me, which is kind of the way of the world, I would say, and I go like, in this conversation, am I bringing life? When I walk into the house, am I bringing life? When I call somebody, am I bringing life? Like those are my two choices. I'm bringing life or death, peace or chaos. That gives me like a lot different purpose than when I show up to things. And an understanding of like, as a creative father myself, like I have the opportunity, life or death today, to produce in others. That's so good. And that's, I'm going to have to look up Deuteronomy 30 a little bit more closely. I, I often will say, uh, it's from Proverbs. It's death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I think about that a lot with my kids because it's so crazy. Like in a moment of anger, your amygdala is triggered and you say something yeah. and you can see it. It's like a dagger, right? Because it goes, because yep. especially with young men, if they're mm-hmm. pushing up against you, they're pushing up against you, trying to figure out who they are in this world. Do they measure up? What's my purpose and all this kind of stuff? dads, and I'm guilty of this so much in a moment of frustration, like you can quash it, you squash a kid's dreams with one straight yeah. word and speaking life over your kid. That's that ministered to me, man. That's good. Yeah, I would love to live that way. Right? This is in the practice and I'm sure it'll be the next 40 years, 50, 60 years. Right. So yeah. I've only asked this question a couple of times. So I'm going to ask you uh, two final questions. You're 46, your oldest is 16. You, you still have a few years of the kids at home and a bit of a transition of like college mission, of, you know, early 20s. But there's going to become a day when you're a grandfather. What type of grandfather do you want to be? Uh, I want to say yes. When my kids say, can you take our kids for the weekend? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would, I love that about our grandparents. So it's hard for mm-hmm. us to travel. We do a lot of sport and stuff and we know it's a big ask. And I want to be able to say yes without any hesitation, guilt trip, sighing. Not that they do that, but I'm just saying, I want to be, I want to be known as the grandpa and grandma where kids like, Hey, what are we doing this weekend? We're going to visit grandma and grandpa. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. All the things I had some really good grandparents. They all died way too young. But the one thing that I really want to do is to be able to have intentional time with them individually and be able to share wisdom and knowledge, stories, mistakes that I've made, all that kind of stuff, pass along almost like the do's and don'ts. Because I feel this too with your kids. If I tell my teenagers, my younger, real quick, my younger kids, if I tell them something, dad said it, we're going to do it. We we, we agree with it. (laughs) Teenagers, this is the way they're designed. They're pushing back. If I say it, they want to do the opposite. But if somebody yeah. else says the same exact thing, I heard this amazing thing. I want to <laughs> I want to help my kids be that other voice because mm, that, mm-hmm, that other mm-hmm. voice helps reinforce their family values. It's almost like view it as a partnership with my kids. What are your family values? So if my, Maddox, when Maddox gets married and has kids, okay, oh, we're all different. What are your family? What are you trying to accomplish with your kids? What are the things that are challenging? Let me be your ally and your advocate. And then we can get on the same page because they might not hear from you, but they might hear from grandpa. And maybe it's just because I give him 50 bucks when he comes over and he looks forward to it. But I'll have a voice. Dude, Alex, the world would look different if this were the case. I I feel like a lot of grandparents feel like they know better then. And so there's this disconnect between adult children with kids and their, their own parents. This like rolling of the eyes. And we could really truly go in open handed and say, what are your family values? How do I be your ally? How do I reinforce them? I think, oh my goodness, like the depth of connection we would have with our own children in partnering with them and not overstepping a boundary would be such an incredible opportunity for grandparents. And the other piece that you said that I really want men to be thinking about is everything you said meant that you set yourself up to be available, right? you're available for them and your grandkids and how many grandparents didn't set themselves up in a way to be available. And so so I love that. My friend, I want to respect our time together. So I'm going to ask you my last question. Imagine 30 years from now, 
Okay, your oldest will be 46 years old and you're standing out into in a cul-de-sac and you're peering into all your kids' homes. What's the legacy? What's the thing that is going to put a smile on your face that you're going to be seeing played out in their homes knowing you did your job as a father? Yeah. Just obvious love, uh, respect for each other. One of the things my wife and I talk about a lot, I hope and prayer is that our four boys are friends when they're older. Mm. That would just speak to the values that we have. And they're not always going to get along. They're always going to drive each other crazy and stuff. But I would love it when I look in that window analogy, that it's one window because it's one Ah. house because we're all together with all the kids and there's that they're happy to be there. We've got wherever life takes us that we're all coming together and we're truly enjoying each other's company. Having a big family is so challenging, but it is so Mm -hmm. rewarding at the same time. You think about all those moments, like we're just, we've been doing, it's Christmas break this week. We've been watching a movie tonight, family movie night, you know, every Mm -hmm. night. And it's just been so fun. We all laugh at the same places. That's, I would love that. And I would love just to, to bring it back to this, every single part person in our entire family, kids, grandkids, spouses, girlfriends, significant others, they love Jesus, man. That's it. Yeah. Like I pass it along yeah. to them that they're made in the image of the living God. Yep. Yep. Ah, Alex, this has been such yeah. a beautiful hour spent together. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your openness, honesty, and, and for the pursuit, like the work you've done, like you said, from 26 to 46, you know, the work you've done on yourself so that you're in a position to, to share with other men. And so I thank you for your time. I look forward to hopefully connecting with you again in the future. Likewise. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Until next time. What an incredible conversation. So many nuggets, but one that really sticks out to me as I reflect is just how quickly he said, I love the morning. Dads, if we could approach our day with an excitement, with a hope for the day, how much impact and influence would we have when we show up that way for our families? So I'm so grateful for that gift. And dads, this comes down to knowing who we are, identity. What is your identity? What do you place your identity in? Now, when we talk about fatherhood, most men stumble into fatherhood. They don't know their true God-given identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect, or similar, you know, what Alex talked about in this last conversation. And this is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. So please check out Adventure of Fatherhood. I've launched three online courses. If you feel you want to a deeper discovery of your identity as a father, introduction of fatherhood for a new dad, discover fatherhood for the dad with a five to 15 year old, just struggling through that. And then once you go through one of those, I've got the 90 day intentional 18 year roadmap where we roll with a group of dudes for 90 days, intense and incredible. Hey, my friends, if this conversation, if this podcast is helpful, please write a review, please send it to a friend, but writing a review helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Mm-hmm.